What's going on, everybody? Cheers. Happy Wednesday or whatever day it is when you're watching or listening to this. Welcome to the With Her Two Hands podcast, where each week we celebrate women who build, fix, and make things with their own two hands. My name is Bogie, and I am your host for this evening's episode. I am super excited to meet tonight's guest. She is hailing from the UK. She has had an incredible career, started off as a motorcycle technician both for dealerships and independent shops. She got into being a race motorcycle mechanic, was the first female in the UK certified with Ducati. Oh my gosh, so incredibly cool. Uh, and then she became an engineer and she's doing some incredibly cool things with her career. Uh, but before we dive in and I introduce you to her, I gotta give a quick thank you to tonight's sponsor who helped make this episode possible. So a big thank you to Drive Time. They've been one of our partners since the beginning of this podcast, um, going back almost three years now, They've been a huge supporter, not just of this series, but of women in the trades in general. They do a ton within their own organization to really increase diversity and celebrate diversity. Um, just a really cool organization. They create a lot of opportunities for young up and coming technicians, detailers, body techs, painters, uh, you name it. They're creating opportunities and changing lives. So make sure if you are not familiar with them that you go check them out, whether you're in the market for a used car or whether you're in the market for a new career, they're definitely a company that you want to check out. So tonight, let's dive in. We have the incredible Emily Weaving, and I'm going to bring her in right now. Hello, hello. How are you? Hi, I'm really good, thank you. How are you doing? I am fantastic. Did I pronounce your name right? Did I mangle it? No, it's good. We kind okay. of say weaving, but I, yeah, I can take it. We weaving? Weaving, yeah. Weaving, okay, all right. Um, it is late at night for you right now. Full disclosure for everybody watching, we are actually pre-recording this because, you know, in the UK it's 1 a.m. And um, I didn't want to do that to poor Emily because that's just rude. So um, we're pre-recording this today, so it's not too late for you. But um, tell us briefly, tell the fine folks at home in your own words who you are and what you do, and then we'll dive into stuff. So my name's Emily Weaving. Um, I'm from Shropshire, uh, which is a nice rural part of the UK. Um, and I am currently working as a mechanical engineer in the defence industry. Um, I'm developing the next generation of military vehicles. Um, and as, as you mentioned, so my, my background, I was uh, I was brought up in a motorsport family. Uh, well, a family full of, I think you guys say gearheads. So mm. we would call us petrol heads. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so my granddad used to race in the motorcycle Grand Prix in like the 40s and 50s um, and both my parents ride or they like both of them rode motorcycles as I grew up um, so I was kind of brought up in that environment um, and I started out life yeah as a motorcycle mechanic so for five years I worked in a few dealerships I worked in a custom shop um, and yeah I worked in the British Superbike paddock um, as a race technician which was which was amazing I bet. <laughs> um, and then yeah so I had a bit of a career change when I was 24 and I joined JCB on their degree apprenticeship scheme and then the past eight years I've been working as a mechanical engineer uh, specializing in testing and development really um, going from things like diesel engines through to motorcycle helmets and now military vehicles. Such a, an insane journey and, and a really <laughs> exciting one. It's really, um, it's taken a bunch of little dives and weaves throughout things um, and I, I'm curious how like how you got from one to the next, like what brought you into engineering? But I want to start off kind of at the beginning. I get that, you know, family's petrol heads. Um, I'm going to I'm going to use your lingo, um, although I'm curious. OK, sidetrack because I have ADHD brain. I'm a squirrel. Um, so what are, do you still call it petrol heads now that like we're getting into electric vehicles? What are we going to do? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I feel like a lot of a lot of petrol heads aren't really embracing electric vehicles. So I don't. I don't think it's. I don't think it's going to be too much of a problem. I'll have to have it. I'll either just go or have a new name. Right there, you go. Maybe so it's it's. So it's the same in UK. It's they're not. It's not being embraced by the techs. No, people. Some people are going for them in cities, but people who really love their cars and the motorbikes are just not not on board with it. Yeah, yeah, we're definitely seeing that here too. All right, before we digress too much in that direction. So <laughs> family is a bunch of petrol heads. Mom and dad rode bikes. When you were young, did you did you always want to be a motorcycle technician? Like, was that 
the thing? Did you have other plans and then you wound up in it? Like, tell me how that started for you. So actually, uh, my mom still has this. When I was um, 11 years old, I wrote I wrote a letter um, and I basically said that when I when I grow up, I'm going to be Valentino Rossi's crew chief who was like my absolute hero in MotoGP at the time and still is to this day, to be fair. <laughs> um, so yeah, wrote, wrote that age 11. Yeah, my mom, my mom still has hold of it. Um, That's and awesome. <laughs> yeah, so I've, I've kind of, it's been very much on my radar pretty much my whole life. Um, I think, you know, there's a few things when you're a kid, you think, oh, maybe I'd be interested in other things. But yeah. it's always, it always circles back to motorbikes and particularly racing. Um, that's always been where my passion's been. That's awesome. So it was clearly no surprise to your family when you went in this direction. Were they super supportive? No. I'm assuming. Yeah, they've they've been absolutely amazing. So they've, you know, every step along the way, they've supported all of my decisions. Um, so I made the decision not to go to university. Uh, so I did. We do like A levels in the UK when you're between sort of 17 and 18, um, and then from there you were going to university to do a degree. Um, and I was like kind of straight A student, um, kind of high up in the class and stuff. And I said to my parents, like, I don't, I don't want to go to university because that's just not what I'm interested in. I want to get hands on. I want to be, you know, I want to be a mechanic and start on this journey. Um, and I'd been offered the opportunity with the Ducati dealership. I'd been working at part-time on weekends and holidays to go full-time when I finished my A-levels. Nice. Um, so yeah, I kind of said that's that's what I want to do instead of going to uni, and they they were both amazing, and, and my grandma as well. She's been so supportive. That's awesome. Is it? I take it that's not very common, probably to to do that, or is it? Um... No, so it wasn't at all at the time. So this is a while ago. People weren't really doing kind of apprenticeships. It was pretty much that you would go to university, or you would kind of just just start working somewhere. Um, so with kind of, it was always seen that if you were, you know, getting quite good results and, and kind of going off somewhere, you had to go to university to be successful. Um, right. but I just didn't, I wasn't ready for it. I didn't want the lifestyle and I just, yeah, didn't fit yeah. in with where I wanted to be. That makes sense. Are there trade programs that you can go into as well instead of uni or is it either uni or go directly into the workforce and, and get on the job training is it one or the other yeah so so now there are so many apprenticeships it's amazing so loads and loads of people can kind of either finish school at 16 or carry on until they're 18 um, okay. and then you can go straight into an apprenticeship where you normally you'd be working in a place getting your skills sort of three to four days a week and then you'd be studying at college the one or two days a week so okay. you kind of your company pays for it all so you kind of get supported learning um you learn on the job and it's just a really good really good way of doing it and that's becoming a lot more yeah. popular in the uk over the over the last few years which that's is great awesome. to see because <laughs> it's the best way of learning i think it's particularly with these trades yeah no absolutely i i wish the united states was get would get on board with some of that um because <laughs> i feel like we're very behind like canada does that uk does it there's mm. a i think australia also has similar like apprenticeship programs um mm. the united states is kind of kind of lacking in that some states are starting to play with it but it's really not the mm. norm and it's unfortunate but yeah so ducati so you got in at a ducati dealership while you were still in high school you were part-time with them yeah. is that what you said that's yeah. awesome. how was getting the job there was that a difficult thing while you're still in school like hi I don't, I'm, I'm a little kid and I don't know much, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so my, my parents had both had, they'd both bought a few Ducatis from this, from our local dealership. Okay. Um, and I was just kind of like looking for a weekend job and my mom was like, why don't we just go in? So we rode in. So I went on the back of her um, and we just, I just took my CV in and said, do you need any, any help on a weekend? You know, if I could come in as like a trainee kind of role. Um, could I help at weekends and holidays? And and he was the owner was really good with me actually. He was like, awesome. yeah, do you know what we could we could do with a hand and we can kind of spend a bit of time to train you up because this was kind of going into winter when it's a lot quieter there. So over that winter they taught me like we were doing like little bits of welding and kind of just stripping engines down just because because oh, wow. we could really. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a really good way of learning. That's incredible. And you wound up being the first female certified female ducati tech in the uk 
Yeah. And, and yet you walked into this place as a young girl knowing very little and he was so on yeah. board. That's huge. Yeah, I had no real experience. So I I spend a lot of my childhood like, well, bothering my dad in the garage. So sort of. <laughs> he was really, really good at woodwork. So I would okay. love like helping him out or probably hindering, but, you know, being in the garage with him. Um, and we did little bits on the bikes, but I never had like a huge amount of experience. So mm -hmm. I pretty much was just going in, just being keen. <laughs> and they took, me, took awesome. a chance on me. So yeah huge like credit to him for being willing to take you mm. in that's phenomenal to hear yeah so how how long between then and then you getting into being the the first female certified with Ducati so you graduate high school you now start working full-time yeah. mm -hmm. um how's that go so I think it was probably in about the first kind of six months um I went out to Bologna which is where they're based in Italy so that's their mm. headquarters um, and yeah, I had a, I had a week out there doing the, doing the training courses to get my uh, certification. How awesome. What yeah. a cool opportunity. The dealership is who sent you the Ducati dealership. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. it was, they were really keen to get me, get me through like the manufacturing training and things. Cause again, I wasn't doing any kind of college sort of learning at all. It was just all on the job. So it was quite a nice yeah. way of supplementing that really with some, um, uh, yeah, some courses. Yeah. So you were the first in the UK. Were you the first elsewhere? Like when you went to the training in Italy, were they like, oh, you're a, you're a female? Um, <laughs> or, or was it a non-issue? Uh, they were they were definitely more, like it was it was very obvious. It was more unusual that I was there, um, especially with my age. So I would have been um, 18 at the time. Um, so yeah, pretty, pretty young. And um, they, they were, but they were great. I mean, they were, you know really friendly and really helpful and I didn't have any we had a couple of old boys on some of the training courses and they were they were great with me which is where I was expecting there might be a bit of an issue but yeah no. that's awesome so you I mean it sounds like you've had an overwhelmingly positive experience from from the get-go that's fantastic to hear do yeah. you do you feel like that is relatively unique to you or is that co more common in the UK? I mean, I hear it once in a while here in the in the States where it's this overwhelmingly positive experience, but it's rare, I feel like. Yeah, I I think it's it's very mixed. Um, and I think it depends a lot in what industry you're in in the UK. So with motorcycle mechanics, I would say is overwhelmingly positive. I've got a couple mm. of other friends, who, female friends who used to be bike mechanics, again, had really positive experiences um, because I think in because our kind of biking community in the UK is quite small and it's mm. quite a niche. It means that people are they seem to be a lot more open to interesting like women and different kind of people they're not you know they're, they're actually really quite good um whereas I know a couple of people who are in the car industry who struggle more because you've kind of everyone's got a car and people don't really think about it and they you know always asking to see the guy yeah. um so it's it's it is mixed um I've had you know you you I've had comments and bits and pieces but I always crazy. try yeah, it's I think actually the the worst experience I've had was ironically the the boss at the Ducati dealership that gave me my break. Oh. Um so when when I handed my notice in to leave to go racing, um he basically went crazy. <laughs> and he said uh he said that I was never going to make it anyway because I was too small to be a mechanic. Um <laughs> despite the fact <laughs> that I'd been working there for like 3 years at this point without really a contract. So he could have just fired me at any point if I wasn't doing my job. Um, and he was just really, really cross. He just kind of threw his toys out the pram, I think. Oh, uh, yeah, um, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. But he literally told me to just take like take my overalls off and leave. Uh, that was that, that was it. I was done. Um, oh, my gosh. So, yeah, it was crazy. And I didn't actually have a job in racing to go to either when I hadn't handed my notice in. Um, oh. <laughs> yeah, so, so I needed to go that weekend I'd organized a meeting with a team uh, just to have like a bit of an interview and to see if they wanted to take me on for the year. Um, and I needed the Saturday off. Uh, but I asked for the Saturday off and he wouldn't let me. He said, no, you can't, you can't have Saturday off. You know, we need, we need you in. And he said, if you want Saturday off, you'll have to leave. So I said, oh, okay. Geez. So I went home, I slept on it. I spoke to my mom, we, we talked about it. And then I went in the next day with my notice. <laughs> 
Good for you. Yeah. It sounds like he was just pouting. He was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't pretty, want you to leave. So now much. I'm going to be mean. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, oh, but it was kind of, it felt like it came full circle because the, the last race team I worked for was a Ducati team. Uh, so I was in like head to toe in all my Ducati race gear and I saw him in the paddock. <laughs> so <laughs> just like, hi, here I am. I've made it. How how was he when you saw him? Was that like an amazing moment for you? <laughs> yeah, it was it was so good. He just kind of looked at me and and did one look at what I was wearing and was kind of like <sighs> So yeah, it was quite that was quite funny. It's quite satisfying. It's, it's success is the sweetest revenge, isn't it? <laughs> it's Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. I love it. So that's ballsy though. Like you decided you wanted to switch into doing racing race mechanics, but didn't have anything secured and put in your notice. I Had you been putting out feelers at all? Were you already like laying the groundwork for this or were you just like one morning, like I'm gonna do this and then, all right, now I have to do this because I just lost my job. <laughs> so yeah, I guess the, the backstory really with it is um, I actually lost my dad um, in the November. Um, and he was one of the people that was super supportive of mm. all my like crazy things and the whole Valentino Rossi's crew chief. And he was always just like, yeah, you can do this. You know, don't don't let anyone tell you what you can and can't be. Um, so that was the November. Um, and then I actually came over to the States for the first time uh, by myself. I met a friend out there um, in the March and it just really opened my eyes to like travel and like this whole world out there and we did New York and Boston. I fell in love with the place and I thought, do you know what? I want to be able to see more of the world. Nice. So um, I was on the, it's when I was on the Greyhound bus from Boston back to New York and I was, I had a great playlist on and I was just by myself and I thought, yeah, I know what I need to do. I need to follow this racing dream. Um, oh, and, that. you know, make, like made my dad proud essentially. I think, you know, I was like, I know that's what he's going to want. So um, I came back from there and i me and my mom went through and we like wrote wrote a little cover letter out and i updated my cv and just made this like speculative letter basically um and then i spent the weekend researching race teams and literally any race team i could find an email address for i sent my cv and my cover letter <laughs> so i think i sent about 60 emails out nice um and i got i think i only got three responses um, two of them were positive, but not for the next, for the season, they were already set. And then the last one was this, um, female team owner who really liked the sound of me. And she asked me to go up to meet the team. Uh, hence That's the awesome. notice. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. So you found a female team owner, no less. Yes. Yep. I, also, I take it very uncommon. Yes. So she was, well, at the time she was probably the only one in the in the paddock that there was a there was a female team owner um so yeah I think that might have helped my cause <laughs> um <laughs> she was great like I'll forever be grateful for her um giving me the first chance to get into racing really yeah that's incredible what I love that story I mean that's just just an incredible like everything like taking that time to reflect and kind of having your dad's memory and and that really being a motivator for you it's just such a beautiful thing I absolutely love it I'm so sorry for your loss and at the same time I'm so glad that that like kind of pushed you to kind of continue mm -hmm. on with your with your journey yeah definitely I think it, it really made me realize that you're not here forever and mm -hmm. you know anything can happen in an instant and you've just got to live your life how you want to you've got to you've got to enjoy yourself and and it, you know it's these things that you've dreamed about doing if you can even try and do it just try give it a go and that was what I wanted to do absolutely were you always that way I'm curious like when you were younger were you always the the kid who was like I'm just going to follow my own path no matter what because you did a lot of going against the grain and yet you have such a nonchalance about it like yeah I did this thing nobody had ever done it before whatever <laughs> like, um, were you always that way I guess so yeah I think I really think being brought up without any kind of boundaries or not boundaries but no I was never made to feel like I had to be anything even with say you know talking about my background with the motorsport family and everyone being into bikes I was never pushed into bikes um, it was never like, right, this is what you have to do. It was just kind of naturally came up that way. Um, and I think I was offered my primary school. So my sort of small, like junior school, I think you guys call it. 
um, we had an amazing design technology department oh. um, and we had such amazing equipment like we had lathes and miller machines and all sorts of stuff Ooh. that we were using at the age of like eight eight or nine amazing um, we yeah we had like uh, vacuum forming machines we had um hover, we had a hovercraft which we <laughs> we could work on um oh my gosh in crazy. junior high holy yeah. crap yeah that's awesome yeah i don't think yeah. we have that here at least not in my <laughs> so, school we didn't have that um yeah so i and the, the teacher was super inspirational he was amazing um and he really encouraged like just learning and you could go in on your lunchtime and just make like make just play around with things even if it was just soldering things together or gluing things up um i kind of had that from a very young age and because both my parents worked full time, I went to quite a lot of the summer schools and through the summer schools, it would always be like hands on making projects and stuff. So um, we'd be like making catapults and vacuum form boats and racing them across lakes and all sorts of stuff. So I've kind of naturally had a lot of hands on kind of things open to me naturally, yeah. which I'm super, super grateful for. Um, yeah. And I think, yeah, that's that's really helped shape where I've got to now. That's so awesome to hear and just such incredible opportunities. It's kind of like the what I've been shouting off the rooftops for forever is like, gosh, we need to expose kids to everything because you never know. And yet yeah. so many kids don't have that kind of opportunity to be hands on. I feel like at least in the States, it is very normal for kids to get all the way through high school, even college often with without ever having had an opportunity to to build things or take things apart or like yeah. learn any of that kind of work and you don't know if you're going to be good at it unless you try it and no so many people don't even know those careers exist right like they don't even know that that's an option absolutely I think that's the the biggest barrier really is that people don't actually like understand what these jobs are mm -hmm. um which is why I try and spend a lot of my time I'm a STEM ambassador which is what we have in the UK um okay. so I volunteer quite a bit of my time sort of mentoring tutoring um judging awards all that kind of stuff but my main reason is to try and raise awareness of actually what it's like to be a mechanic and an engineer and explain you know the difference between the two um and the kind of the different kind of roles you would take on in in those careers uh because yeah there's a real disconnect with what people are taught at school and then what they can then become with the stuff they enjoy doing and exposure yeah. like you say if people aren't getting hands-on at a young age you're not going to know that the world out there <laughs> Um, yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, so you're traveling all over doing the STEM ambassador stuff. What kind of response do you get when you're speaking and what kind of like what kind of settings are you speaking in and talking and, and reaching out to people in? So um, it's been a lot of my speaking has been more recent. So um, last year I was I did a keynote speech for the Triumph Motorcycles. They had a like a design awards for people doing their GCSE. So it's sort of 16 to 18 year olds. Um, okay. And they asked me to do a keynote speech and present the awards and things. Awesome. Um, so that was really cool. So that was about like a room of about 80 people in there. And they just wanted me to talk about my sort of career journey and where I've got yeah. to. Um, so I go from events like that to just kind of smaller. Um, I've judged on the Formula Student, which is a it's like an initiative where people at uni, um, they put together, kind of come together as a team for the year and they build a race car. So okay. quite, you know, quite a simple car. Um, and then they do a race at Silverstone. It's um, organized with the Institute of Mechanical Engineers. Okay. Um, so I, I supported like kind of the junior version of this. So it was people, I think they were about 15 or something like that. So they put together like videos about, you know, how they've gone about building the car and the designs and all this kind of stuff. So it's quite wide ranging, really. That's awesome. And are you well received? Are you like, what? what is the response that you get from these talks? Or do you find like you're getting to expose people to, to new opportunities? Yeah, I think so. Um, I... I always feel I'm always terrified before I do them. The this like the mm -hmm. keynote speech. Um, <laughs> I had I had so many people come up to me after that because um, we kind of just mingled afterwards um, and either asked me a couple of like specific questions or just to say that I'd really inspired them and it just nice. it means a lot and it kind of pushes keeps pushing me to do things like this really because um, yeah. it's it's important. Um, and I know I've I've spoken on a couple of sort of women in engineering kind of panel events um, and again had a few people reach out through LinkedIn afterwards and just kind of said that they were really inspired to um, 
teach their daughter or to pick up a few things for their daughter and you know things like that which really motivates me absolutely that's everything I mean that's that's everything if we can affect one person or influence and then create opportunity for just one person that's that's everything that's awesome now was that did you start because you have a blog as well did you start that before becoming a step ambassador like which came first chicken or the egg and what motivated starting the blog So I did the STEM ambassador. I started when I joined JCB. Um, So as part of their degree apprenticeship, they encourage people to sign on um, and and sort of start giving back a little bit. So that's been going on for quite a long time now. Um, I guess I've been doing it for six. Oh, no, eight years. Wow. Uh, wow. Yes, I've been doing that for eight years. Um, So that that came first. Um, And then, yeah, my blog, like you mentioned, I started that up in COVID. So it was in 2020. Mm. when I had I was furloughed from work so I I don't know if you guys did for moment but we basically got sent home from JCB for like three months um and yeah we were just told we couldn't because we couldn't do our jobs remotely yeah so we just got sent home we'll pay you 80% of your salary and and that's it so I kind of took that period to reflect on kind of what I was doing and what I was hoping to do and I realized that when I do these kind of smaller, smaller events and, and kind of bit of like one-on-one mentoring and things you're affecting a limited amount of people, but at least some. And I thought if I could, I love writing, I really enjoy writing. So I thought if I could kind of translate my passions into a blog that people can then access from anywhere, I thought it could be quite a good resource. So, um, kind of for people coming into engineering so they could kind of see, the life outside of being an engineer so for me it's like the things I can do because I'm an engineer so like yeah. you know your work-life balance and being able to travel a bit more having a little bit of money to buy new motorbikes and things like that <laughs> <laughs> but of course that's what you do when you have money you buy more motorbikes <laughs> absolutely <laughs> clearly um, <laughs> so it was um so you kind of capture those people but then the secondary side which has been really super nice is meeting fellow female engineers who maybe don't have any like support network where they're working or maybe they don't have didn't have any friends in engineering um and they're kind of reading some of the stuff that like maybe some of the challenges like imposter syndrome or something that I talk about and they're like oh thought it was just me or and then that sparks off a conversation yeah so I've I've actually made some really good like connections through through my Instagram with it and through the actual blog itself um through yeah women reaching out that felt a bit kind of on their own because you can feel like a bit of an island sometimes yeah (laughs) so it's nice to have that network absolutely no I think that's that's huge I love that you're doing that and I think you're you're absolutely right especially when you talk about like imposter syndrome I think that particularly is one of those things like you know even if you've had like yourself you've had this great very supportive you know beginning of your career and journey Mm -hmm. where like you didn't have a lot of crap as a woman, but you're still the only, and it can still be kind of lonely and you can kind of start to question, is it just me? And when we talk about these things, then suddenly it's like, oh, okay, I'm not alone. There's, there's other people like me experiencing the same things. I'm not crazy. This is normal. And it like validates it so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So what made you decide to become an engineer? You're like on this path to be a, a motorcycle race mechanic. You're kicking butt, taking names, being the first, doing all sorts of amazing stuff. What made you switch gears? So I was I was basically, look, I kind of took a look at where I wanted to be. So a big part of my development, I guess, over the years has been, I like to have a, a maybe not a mentor is not the right word because it's not two way. I just kind of, <laughs> we'll, we'll just follow someone's journey and see how they've got to where they, I see someone, I think I really like what you're doing. How have you got there and kind of retrace their steps and see if I can kind of replicate or have some ideas. So um, I was still very much wanting to be a crew chief in MotoGP. Um, didn't think I'd quite make it before Valentino retired. So, you know, <laughs> that was okay. <laughs> um, but I was looking at that and and for me, the difference between where I was at versus kind of that next level was an engineering degree. Okay. And making it more of a kind of career um, was, was that was kind of where I was thinking. Um, okay. And then the last race team that I worked for, uh, the crew chief, my crew chief was absolutely awesome. And he was a engineer at JCB. And one of the weekends he was like, what, like, 
why didn't you do a degree? Why don't, you know, why didn't you do that? And, you know, so we talked about it. I didn't want to do that in the past. And he was like, well, why don't you get one now? And I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to uni at 24. Like that's, that's not happening. Um, and he, he introduced me to the concept of degree apprenticeships and I'd never really heard of them. They weren't a thing when I came out of high school. And uh, he was like, why don't you, I know JCB do them. He's like, why don't you look into doing a degree apprenticeship? You can still keep working. So you're kind of keeping that side, but someone will pay for your degree and then you can see what happens. And we kind of, that weekend, yeah, that weekend we were both looking into it, some of the schemes and, and he was like, oh, I'm going to, I'll email the early careers lady and see, you know, see where they're at because they weren't advertising because this was in like May time um so yeah he sent he sent my cv through to the head of um early careers and she was like oh we had eight we had basically eight people that we'd picked for september um but a couple of weeks ago one of them dropped out um (laughs) we weren't going to advertise for someone else because we kind of couldn't really be bothered we were just going to have seven but actually you're really interesting so can you come in for an interview so I basically went in and yeah, did like an assessment center and, and stuff. And I, and I got offered that final spot on the apprenticeship scheme. Heck yeah. Awesome. <laughs> timing is everything, isn't it? My goodness. Absolutely. <laughs> timing, perseverance, willingness to do it anyway, and just put yourself out yeah. there. And oh my gosh, the male allies and supporters that you've had that are yeah. helping you find these opportunities. Like, Ooh, I love it. That's so cool. Yeah. So the goal really was to continue in the path as a motorcycle, motorsports technician and mm-hmm. crew and all of that. And then and then later you turned the corner and wound up doing completely something completely different. But let's <laughs> so so it wasn't that you were wanting to leave motorcycle mechanics. You were just trying to advance your career at that point. Yeah, that's it. It was it was my way I could see of it, of making it sort of really a career because um, yeah. I spent a year. One of the seasons I worked full time for the team for the race team, um, so I didn't work in a shop. I just worked there, um, and it was just mad. It was so I had such a great year. Um, it was so fun. I worked at the Isle of Man TT, um, which was just an amazing amazing event. The road racing to imagine. be able to work at. Um, so yeah. that was that was like one off the bucket list for sure. Yeah. Um, and I traveled, did a bit of traveling in Australia, with my best friend. And nice. it was such a great year, uh, but it pretty much financially broke me. Like if my if my mom wasn't so understanding, <laughs> like <laughs> it would never have happened. Like I was being paid um, 30 pounds a day, Ooh. which is like not much. Not very much. No, not at all. Um, with a lot, like loads of travel and and everything. But the experience was brilliant and I had so much fun. But I kind of looked at that year and I was like, I'm so glad I've done it. But that I can't, I can't sustain this. Like I can't have a career and I can't do the traveling that I want to do with that. Um, so it was my way of kind of putting the pieces together to try nice. and make it more viable as a career. That makes sense. Awesome. So you had you had the vision of what, how you wanted your life to look. And then you mm. figured out what you needed to do to support that. Yeah. I like, I like that. Okay. So what, what was it like working in, in motorsports? Jace, what is it called in Europe? I'm sorry. I don't know names for the motorcycle. JCB. Is that right? Uh, so, so JCB <laughs> is the, um, they're the heavy machinery company. That oh, I okay. For. Yeah. Like our version of cat. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. So the motorsport, I was in the British Superbike paddock. British Superbike. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So what was what was that like? Was it amazing? It was amazing, exhausting, and crazy all at the same time. <laughs> it was. I, I just had the best time. Um, I worked for some really amazing teams with some incredible people, um, some really talented riders. So had particularly the year I was full-time we had quite a few uh, podiums race wins um and we finished I think we finished second in the championship in the end so that was pretty that was awesome so to see like the high performance was great um and yeah the last team I worked for the the whole team was just fantastic the team owner was amazing um still really good friends with everyone now which is really you know like kind of eight years on we're still really close which is so good um but it was pretty much everything I kind of hoped it to be I guess so it was really really intense I think the thing people think it's quite glamorous because you kind of see the maybe just the race day and you see like all the 
great girls and everyone's kind of just stood around like celebrating and everything and <laughs> it's just it's absolutely crazy the amount of work is unreal like um we had a weekend where both of our riders just didn't want to stay on their bikes all weekend <laughs> so the um the, sat the saturday um we had the last session of the day which finished at like 6 p.m and my rider like absolutely smashed his bike up um needed a new mm. frame and everything so it was completely totaled but the class we were in you weren't allowed to keep spare frames in the truck or you weren't allowed to have them with you because you're meant to just have like the one bike um so we were like down south kind of london area and our workshop was up kind of in nottingham like four hours away so this all happened at yeah six six o'clock in the evening um by the time we got the bike back we started to strip it down and we could we could see the crack in the frame so we were like right need a new frame so three of us jumped in the van and we drove for like four hours up north uh picked up the new frame and then drove all the way back so we got back i think we got back about 1 a.m something like that mm. and then and had to get straight to that. work yeah <laughs> we got a bare frame so we've then got a spot so we the guys had been like they swapped they got the motor out and everything else so it was pretty much ready to go so we we just yeah put the frame down and then we had to build the bike from the literally from the frame up um and he was out on track again at eight o'clock the next morning oh my gosh so yeah. yeah i mean he was out and he did we had warm-ups so he had he just got like eight laps in or something shook the bike down we were happy it was okay um and yeah he finished the race and got some points so it was all worthwhile Ooh, that's <laughs> not stressful it, at all <laughs> yeah we had like two or three hours sleep or something um and you're so wired you don't really sleep properly and then it's right. only when you get home that you know when you at the end of the race meet, meeting you just kind of collapse <laughs> when it all hits yeah <laughs> for like a week um, i'm sure um, yeah. yeah yeah and and that was the time when i was going then straight back into work the next day um in mm. the shop so it was yeah it's it's really difficult to kind of manage um yeah. but it was it's so worth it like this thrill is amazing and for me okay. the the pinnacle it feels like the pinnacle of being a motorcycle mechanic um because you are interested with that bike and with that rider's life everything has to be perfect all the time you know you can't make any mistakes you know you can't leave anything loose you can't forget to like well forget to put any fuel in which has happened before and things <laughs> not by me <laughs> but, you know, there's just there's just so much to think about and, and while yeah. you do all, i think the thing i hadn't realized while you're doing all this is you are like a um exhibit for people because you've got people in in the british superbike championship the paddock is open to all the members mm. of the public so you're there when you when you have it normally when you have a crash everyone appears because they like to look at a crash like a smashed up bike um so you're there trying to work really hard um and you've got people either asking you questions or just trying to get in your way and you've got to be professional because you're representing that team at all times you've always got to be like polite you don't know if someone's a sponsor you don't know who people are so that side of it was really interesting which i wasn't really expecting but it kind yeah. of adds to it like it was quite fun to have that i love it i love that you saw that as fun i think that would drive me <laughs> insane <laughs> that's intense because you're right i mean you've got it's not like with cars your motorcycles they have no cage around them there is no. there is nothing it is so crucial like obviously even with with cars you the driver's life is in your hands as you're mm -hmm. as you're working on the car but motorcycles it's just exacerbated and then you've got all these people watching you and then you're probably the only woman out there so your yeah. extra eyes are on you yeah that's got to be intense mm. yeah i i was the only female mechanic in the paddock um there were a couple of girls who were doing uh like looked after the tires and things so mm -hmm. they were you know making sure that all the right tires are on all different at different times and everything like that make sure they're all the right temperature and pressures and stuff okay not in my team but in in other teams okay. so yeah i would say in like technical capacity there were like three or four of us in the whole paddock oh, wow. um and that's across about six race series within that yeah. so yeah <laughs> are you starting to see more of that do you feel like those numbers are increasing or is it still yeah, pretty low I, so it's still low um but over the past few years actually there's a few new team owners again who are really really driving a lot more female participation which is awesome so there's a there's a british superbike team who are run who's run by a woman and she has got a real focus on female riders 
so she's kind of put together like a bit of a program for the younger riders coming through oh, so it's nice. yeah it's a bit of like a nurturing kind of environment and she's got um some really good mentors in there for them so she's nice. encouraging like that side of things um and then there's recently i think in the last couple of years there's a team in the MotoGP paddock who's run mm. who are run by a woman and fully staffed by women which is amazing <laughs> they, oh my gosh all, i need yeah, to know all about the engineers them. and stuff yeah so they're called angelus um and they're in the moto three championship at the moment um okay. and yeah she is really pioneering and she's got yeah these female i think they've got they run two bikes i think so they've got you know a fleet of female engineers and technicians which i think is amazing to see so cool that's amazing so I'm curious, I mean, you've now kind of departed from the motorcycle world a little bit. You're in defense, which is a totally different arena entirely. Um, yeah. and, and you, even before going in defense, you had kind of left to go into to doing diesel and other kinds of stuff. Do you miss the motorcycle? Do you see yourself going back? Are you still involved in any way? Yeah, so that's, this is really good timing to have this conversation, actually. So <laughs> um, I when I joined JCB to get my degree, I knew I couldn't go racing at the same, I couldn't go racing, have a full-time job and get a degree. I really needed to focus on the degree. Yeah. Um, so what I've kind of done is I kind of closed off my part of my brain <laughs> that loved motorsport and that side of things to keep my sanity because it was a long, like the whole journey was kind of five years in all. Oh, wow. So it's not just like a couple of years because we did a, I did a foundation degree for two years um, and then went on to my bachelor's. So uh, yeah, it was a long time. So I knew that I needed to just be able to focus. So um, I kind of enjoyed as well having bikes as kind of my passion again. So having my own bikes to ride and work on on weekends and stuff rather than it being my job all the time um so that's kind of where I was at um and recently I've been doing some thinking and my new my job I'm in at the moment I've been there for about 18 months um okay. and they're such an awesome company to work for they are I have a really really good work-life balance um and I have only got a two-mile commute which is ridiculous nice. <laughs> <laughs> because all of all of my previous jobs have been over an hour away so I've always had such a lot of my time taken up by driving. So I've kind of got myself in a really good place and I kind of think, oh, I have some, I have some spare time I could maybe fill now. Um, <laughs> and I always, used, I always used to see that I would have motorsport as kind of one path or kind of engineering as the other. That's been my narrative for like the last few years. And I've kind of challenged myself, like, why can't I do both? Um, I could be, you know, I could, do my day job and then spend weekends going racing um so i am planning on um reaching out to some people um to see if they need a freelance uh, race engineer for weekends sort of from next nice. year is my plan yeah awesome so, Are yes, anybody I, do, listening? I do miss it <laughs> <laughs> anybody listening if you've got a got a race team on the motorcycle side yeah um gotta be uk though because you gotta you gotta balance this with your job but <laughs> that's it at the moment <laughs> at the moment i like that not closing any doors <laughs> Very can never close cool. any doors no no definitely not I love I love how intentional you've been throughout your life I mean it's just that's such great um inspiration I think for others to and you've gotten to a milestone and then you pause and you reflect and you look at your life and then you've rewritten it and you've rewritten your life several times now and you're you're yeah. still a young in I mean would you mind if I ask how old you are I know we're not supposed to ask women how old they are but um, no I'm 31 Okay, so 31 and oh, you've yeah. already changed careers. I mean, mm -hmm. evolved, I should say, because it's not like you totally yeah. changed, but um, you've really evolved and rewritten your life multiple times mm -hmm. now. Does it get easier each time you do it? Not really, because I guess like <laughs> as, as you get older, you have more, more responsibilities um, and more things to consider. So like I have my husband and our house and stuff that I got to think about now instead of me just right. being kind of 20 and be able to do anything. Right. Uh, but he is like unbelievably supportive as well. So he would always be kind of up for me just pursuing what I want to do and kind of, you know, we'll, we'll work it out at the end of the day. So um, I don't think it gets easier. But I guess I have 
more confidence I kind of believe in myself more um mm -hmm. whereas like I when I was younger I was really kind of unsure whereas now I kind of feel like actually do you know what I am I'm a good engineer I've kind of you know we've, I've done my time and I kind of know what I'm doing <laughs> um, so it gives it gives me a bit more confidence to be able to approach these people and go do you know what I am just going to send some speculative emails and and see what happens um yeah, yeah so and you've really proven it to either. yourself now, <laughs> but you've proven it to yourself multiple times now that you can completely rewrite your life and that it, and that it works out. Okay. Right. And yeah, so that's it. Makes I think, it a little easier to take the leap. <laughs> yeah. And I think things will, things will always work out one way or another. Um, and I'm a really big believer in not burning any bridges. So I think it's really important that, you know, if you're leaving somewhere to go on to a new opportunity, um, if that opportunity doesn't work out, if you could go back to where you came from, that you know, that's the ideal situation, really knowing you could go back somewhere, um, yeah. which is pretty much where I've been at so far, which is really nice. I haven't had to take that route, but I know now, like I would quite happily go back to JCB. They were a really good company to work for and it was good fun. It was a nice place. Um, but yeah, like you say, kind of pursuing the next thing and my next yeah. kind of trying to get to that passion has kind of got me to where I am now. But if that changed, um, yeah, I would like to think that door would still be open. Yeah, absolutely. So what were you doing at JCB? You were, you were doing engineering work as well as mechanical work or mostly just on the engineering side? So it was mostly on, on the engineering side. Um, they told me off a few times for using spanners <laughs> when I first started. And I was like, yeah, we're going to we need to have a conversation about this because I, I, I'm not going to wait for someone to do to do some work for me um, when I can do it myself. Oh, it just, and, you're, and you're not. It. The engineers aren't supposed to be touching, like doing the no. actual work ever. Oh, so they were quite specific there is you had your technicians that would do the work um, and as the engineer you would be at, you know you give them the work instructions um, but I one of the first projects I had was developing a new um, rig where some engine testing would be going on in um, and it was just pretty much a, a bare room at that point so we had a load of jigs and bits and pieces to build and my technician had been pulled off to do something else that was more important so this stuff needed doing I could do it so I just kind of cracked on push, push, push my sleeves up and carried on um and yeah I got I kind of got told off we had a bit of a uh, a discussion and then he lets us like no you you can carry on actually we you do actually know what you're doing that's fine oh nice so in the end they accepted it and you were allowed to yeah um <laughs> and then it was like a you know obviously the primary the way it worked was that the technicians would do the man the hands-on stuff but if things go wrong all hands on deck is much more useful than if I was just kind of stood there with my arms totally. folded. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I don't know. I'm like you. I don't know that I could just stand and watch and have a technician do it while I'm, Oh, that would no. be really hard. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, that's been probably one of the hardest things for me to get used to going from being hands on to being like an engineer now and like less hands on. Um, I do really miss it. I really like, I really miss being hands on and I do miss well, not having a day on a computer, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is, you know, the reality of engineering. But I think I've got quite a good balance at the moment. And like I say, kind of enjoying my own projects a bit more because I'm not yeah. doing it all the time, which is quite nice. Yeah, absolutely. So you're so you're working for JCB. And then is that where you were also doing the motorcycle helmets or was that another job? Was like that a so that was like, a doing lots of things there or? So that was another job. So JCB, okay. um, I was developing their diesel engines. So yeah, we okay. had a full kind of engine test facility. Um, okay. So running a lot of tests, so some kind of endurance testing. So we'd have engines running 24 seven for like months at a time, basically to oh. see, you know, to see the endurance of them. We'd have some really fun tests um, where we would basically just get a brand new engine, which we would build with sort of the, the piston and ball clearance to like the minimum it should be. Mm. we'd build this up um and then we would start it for the first time we would let it run for like i think it was about 10 seconds and then okay. we take it to full speed and full load so just flat absolutely flat out um oh, this brand new engine <laughs> and run it there for 10 hours and then we'd shut it down like super quick so from there over like 15 seconds and off and that was a test um so i was running stuff like that which was really fun 
Wow. Um, so yeah, to basically see, to kind of ver verify the pistons really on like new engines. Interesting. So you're running all the tests, then assessing how they did and then making yeah. recommendations or making redesigns based on that. Yeah, that's it. So I would I would kind of be responsible from like the test planning. So they would come to me, like maybe the guy who designed the pistons would say, look, we need to we need to verify this new design. So I'd kind of plan all the testing. Um, I would oversee the installation of the engine, make sure it was instrumented correctly and everything was going OK. Um, particularly with that test, I'd be there like when that was running because it was quite stressful. <laughs> um, so just make sure the engine's running how we want. So we had like yeah. kind of boundary conditions that it had to be running at like the right um, humidity and temperatures and bits and pieces to make sure it was valid. So I kind of keep an eye on all that. Um, and then, yeah, monitor the data that's coming off it. And then at the end of it, we'd um, one of the guys would strip the engine down and we'd go and like look at the pistons and see what the conditions were and kind of see what we thought. Um, and then I'd write, yeah, write a report, do all the data analysis and kind of pull it all together. So that was really fun, actually. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, you that can sounds actually really see one fascinating. Of, one of the pistons is on just behind me here. Oh, nice. <laughs> is that one? Of, is, did it, is it one that survived or is it one that has carnage? Yeah, this is actually really cool. It's um, I think you guys can probably see it. So okay. I got made this um, when I left. So one of the guys fabricated and put, yeah, the piston and comrade and some valves in. Oh, like a I love it. Present. <laughs> That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. I love it. So, okay. So you've worked in lots of different areas from mechanicing, engineering, motorsports, dealership, aftermarket, independent shop, um, mm -hmm. working in engineering on the motorcycle side, now working in defense, um, all of these different areas, most of the time, I'm assuming... 90% of the time, if not more, you're probably the only female. Yeah. Have you found, have you seen it being different, similar, any areas that are more or less accepting as far as being a female? Is it different as a woman engineer versus a female mechanic? Um, what's been your experience there? I think it's been quite similar across the board, I would say. Um, I think I've noticed perhaps it a little bit more in engineering because I'm meeting a lot more people. Um, so people that aren't just guys I work with. So mm -hmm. I have found um, I've been on a couple of supplier visits where I've been like the lead engineer and I've gone with a colleague who was sort of not junior to me, but not leading the project. Um, and the people that we've gone to visit, were just making eye contact with him. And like it got to the point where because he was great, he he actually like stood behind me. So he's like, for God's sake, just talk to the right person. Like, why are you directing everything at me? Like you need, you know, you need to acknowledge her. Cause I'd literally yeah. be talking to someone for like 10, 15 minutes and they would not make eye contact in that whole time. Um, yeah, which is like so unbelievably annoying. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it and, is. Uh, and there's a few times I've got a bit better now um, where you would be spoken over in a meeting. I've had that mm. actually quite recently. Um, and my kind of way of dealing with that is if it's because I'm kind of quiet in those situations. So um, I found that if I say, can I ask a question instead of just launching into the question, that seems to get people's attention a bit more and they stop and would like go and actually pause and speak to me about whatever my question was. Um, yeah. Uh, so it's it's kind of getting little bits of oh, ways of dealing with things, I guess, and just mm -hmm. getting used to it. Um, but I think on the whole, people I've worked with have been have been amazing. I've had so many like amazing male allies that have just supported me like the whole way um, and have never made me feel like I'm different, which is the main thing, because um, I don't really think about it. I, I think because I've always been interested in like male traditional things you know with the motorsport and the bikes and everything I've kind of always been like the only girl around and it just doesn't bother me um yeah. it just doesn't get to me so I kind of I don't really stop and think about it too much it's only when I get things like that um, right. or people people addressing like a meeting or a, a group as gents things like that um that just kind of great and you just try and just let them bounce off yeah <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's, it's beautiful that you've had so much support that you're able to say that like, it's just been these small handful of things as annoying as they are. And as frustrating as it yeah. is that we have to like 
we have to navigate techniques for how to be heard, um, which is yeah. an interesting thing. But, um, you know, I, I find that we talk a lot in this series and just offline with, you know, the women I know in the trades, like we talk a lot about like what it looks like to be a good male ally and what we need from the men in, in our work environment. And, and I think you kind of just said it so perfectly is like, like it's not a thing. Like just make it not a thing, right? Just yeah. assume that I know what I'm doing. Assume that I'm capable, and treat me like you would treat any other human being. What a concept! Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. That's all we want. That's all we need. <laughs> so, how is making the transition to defense? Because that's got to be intense. And I know you can't talk about the specifics of what you're doing, but. Um, I can imagine that that's a very different environment from motorsports. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it has been interesting. Like it's, it's yeah, very, very different kind of industry. Um, and my role I'm in at the moment is really pushing me out of my comfort zone. Um, so I'd kind of spent a while doing what I was doing at JCB and kind of felt like I was doing a really good job. The brief foray into helmets before I then went into defense. Um, and I kind of lost my confidence a bit with the motorcycle helmet situation, which is a oh, bit really? of a long story, but uh, okay. yeah. do we want to dive um, into that or we want to stay away from that? <laughs> we can have a small, we can have a small dive. Okay. Um, so yeah, um, basically I was, I was offered a opportunity. So this was in 2021. So we were still in lockdown in the UK. Um, okay. so it was something that came up and looked too good to be true. Okay. And it was. <laughs> so it was basically uh, this company had amazing like marketing social media type presence um, okay. looked incredible the job sounded amazing um sounded like they had a really um beautiful testing and development kind of facility um okay. and I did my interviewing remotely because of COVID I couldn't go down and see the place so that would I would never do that again I would never not visit somewhere and meet the people in person I think is really important um so yeah I got there on my first day and I basically had I I was joining the testing and development department uh but actually I was the testing and development department oh. <laughs> so there was like no there was no facilities there was not really any testing going on and a real reluctance to do some work um, so there was a lot of narcissistic people there that were not interested in improving anything. Oh my um, goodness. Yeah. So you so were that, hired for a position that like, there was nothing, there was nothing there to support it whatsoever. And you were no, expected no. to just create it all in an environment yep. where they didn't actually want it. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. That's fun. Not. Yeah, it was, it was, um, <laughs> it was eye opening, um, and absolutely crazy. And it was really challenging. Like it was, it was also about an hour and 45 minutes each way from my home. So mm. I was driving really far every day and I was just so like, I was hated it. <laughs> it was just mm. awful. Like I, I thought I could really make a difference and make it change, but they just weren't interested. And I just got undermined at every level. Um, and mm. actually I, I quit that job without a job to go to so we'd literally bought our house um and I think we moved in and it was about a month later I had a particularly bad Friday came down from work at like 9 p.m just in tears and my husband was like right that's it you need to like this this can't go on you're you're just a shadow of yourself um mm -hmm. and like my mom had been really worried so they were like do you know what you need to you need to quit you, you can be you're better than this you can find something else um so yeah I handed my notice in again <laughs> with nothing yeah. to go to and then this opportunity in defense came up and I managed to get that job so I didn't have any time in between um it all worked out fine but uh I just had to get out yeah and I can I can see how that would shake your confidence. I mean, that's it's hard not to when you're being undermined at every turn. Yeah. And it's no matter how strong you are, and you you by by all intents and purposes, you're a very confident and self-assured person, but it no matter how confident you are, like that, it gets in there. So how yeah. did you overcome that and shake that? And obviously you had a great support system, but how did you shake the yuckies yeah. and get back to feeling good? So I I actually did a lot. I did quite a lot of read. So I'm quite a big reader anyway. Um, so I did a lot of reading of kind of inspirational people like yeah, Tim mm. Ferriss, Tony Robbins, those kind of people. I did a lot of reading. Um, I actually kind of stalked myself again on like my social media, and my LinkedIn from oh, when I was goodness. doing really well. 
Oh, I love um, that. Yeah. So oh my I gosh. Kind of went back. <laughs> oh my gosh. You can't like you can't just go buy that because that's awesome. What a huge tip. Because in the beginning, earlier in our conversation, you were saying how you would stalk people that you admired and try to figure yeah. out how they created their life. And then you turn around and talk to yourself. Oh my gosh, I love yeah. that. <laughs> That's yeah, so, so cool. I, <laughs> I just had to like remind myself of what where I'd come from. So when I was at JCB, I won like, I won a few apprenticeship awards and I'd, I'd won some engineering awards before that. And I'd kind of lost all of it. And like, I think it was my mom. She was like, oh my God, like, look at all this stuff. She got like, she's got the trophies at her house. She was like, look at this. Like, you're literally an award-winning engineer. Like, don't let these idiots like pull all that away. You can't, you know, you can't. So I just really like lent in on those guys. So they were, and my close friends as well, were all amazing. And just kind of like reminded me who I was. And I wasn't this, what was going on? It was like, that's not you. You know, you could, you, you know, you, you have skills, you, you do know what you're doing. It's fine. Um, but it took, it took a few months starting my role in the defense industry to kind of get that back and actually feel more confident, especially going into a completely different industry. I was just like, yeah. felt, <laughs> I just didn't really know what was going on. But again, I went into yeah. a really supportive team and they were great. Awesome. And, you know, people giving you nice compliments about stuff and it's like, oh, okay, we're, we're back. We're okay. <laughs> Whew. Okay. <laughs> that is incredible. I absolutely, what great advice for, for anybody to do when they're like feeling the ick and, and doubting themselves. That's phenomenal. And you weren't exactly going into like a warm and fuzzy. I mean, it's, you got it, found a great team. That's cool. But like the defense yeah. industry is not very necessarily known for being like a soft, cuddly place Friendly. to work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> did the culture take a lot to get used to or the culture is actually it's been really funny actually so the team that I'm in um is basically full of petrol heads and so everyone has like project cars everyone's got Land Rovers that break down all the time everyone's motorcyclists um well, all people Rovers, are really in... of course they break down all the time <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> and um people who are really into like their cycling and like mountain biking and basically a group of people that I have so much in common with again um which is what I had at JCB like our team we had again everyone there was like the car park was so good there it's all you know really interesting nice. cars and bikes and stuff um and yeah so coming back to my company now the team yeah. is kind of similar characters of people so yeah. you kind of instantly have stuff in in common so there's like a couple of guys i can't i think i might have got um so i'm a for my sins i'm a uh, las vegas raiders fan um <laughs> and i think i probably had like a bag or something when i started um and like a couple of the guys were like oh are you into the nfl and then that was it so then you're kind of instantly chatting with people about that and you kind of find you have a lot of common ground with people and i've really found that in this team which is awesome so it's actually been really quite friendly <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, and I guess, I mean, it makes sense now that I think about it. I mean, yes, you're in defense, but you're working specifically on developing ground vehicles. So that's still motorsports in a sense, right? Yeah. It's just a different type yeah. of motorsports. <laughs> it's absolutely so in it's that subsect. Yeah. You're not, it's not like you went to designing weapons. You're designing. No. Yeah. Interesting. Exactly. Very cool. So you, uh, yeah, people kind of have that same kind of base, I guess, base interests. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Do you see, do you see yourself staying there for a long time? Is that like, do you see the the potential for yourself there to continue to grow your career? I think so. Um, I can see they are really keen with like various kind of leadership programs that they do. And um, yeah, I can kind of see a nice route that I could kind of like a nice, nice niche I could carve out for myself, taking in some of my old experience. Yeah. Um, and especially if they are, if I can kind of pull something off motorsport for my mm -hmm. weekends and can go kind of hand in hand with that. I think if I can, if I can make that work in the both channels, then yeah, I think I can see myself being there for a long time. I love it. That's fantastic. Yay. What a cool career trajectory you have had and just a cool journey. And I'm excited to kind of see as you continue to pull these, these different pieces of your life together to find that like perfect balance of all of it. It's a, you've, you've done good. Um, I'm sure your family oh, is incredibly you. proud and I'm sure dad, um, if, if he were around would be incredibly, incredibly proud of you. Thank you. It means a lot. So just looked at the time. It has been an hour already. 
Oh my gosh. <laughs> I feel like we could keep talking for forever, but um, I know it's getting late there, so I will be respectful. Um, so I've got two final things. One is tell the fine folks at home um, where they can follow you, where they can find your blog, um, where they can keep up with what you're doing, aside from the confidential stuff that you can't disclose, but all the rest <laughs> of the cool stuff that you're doing. How can people find you? Yeah, so I am the female engineer blog on Instagram. Um, and yeah, my blog is the female engineer blog. So you can type that in Google. Um, it's also linked from my Instagram. So you can sort of follow me through there. And then final question. If you had the opportunity to speak to the the younger version of yourself, little baby Emily, or another little girl like you out there who who wants to do what you are doing, who's stalking your social media and saying, <laughs> I want to be like her when I grow up. What are your words of advice to her? I think I would say like, never, ever stop chasing your dreams. What like, whatever it is that sets your soul on fire, whether it's career related, whether it's where you live, whether it's your hobbies, friends, whatever it is, never stop chasing that. And you'll, you'll just be happy. And I think you're just going to get a lot more fulfillment out of your life. Um, I know certainly that's what I've, that's what's always driven me really is just, yeah, keeping that soul on fire and chasing those dreams. I love it. Perfect. And a perfect note to end on. You are fantastic, Emily. This has been so much fun. I've loved getting to know you. Thank you for sharing your story, um, for sharing your words of insight. Uh, I, I hope, I know this was inspiring for me. You gave me some great ideas and I hope uh, folks at home enjoyed as well. Make sure you guys follow this lady. She's really badass. And there's so much more that we haven't even covered. So definitely make sure you check her out and follow along on her journey. And with that, Thank you so I... Thank you. Thank you. We're going to talk more offline, so don't go anywhere. All right. <laughs> um, so with that, I'm going to bid the rest of you guys a good night. Uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in, spending an hour of your week with us. Remember, we have new episodes of the With Her Two Hands podcast every Wednesday night. Uh, we've got some incredible women lined up. And then, of course, we also have archive episodes that are released every Monday night. So you get two opportunities to watch With Her Two Hands. Make sure you follow along on Instagram, on Facebook, on YouTube, on all of the platforms. Make sure you like and subscribe. And if you like this series, please leave comments. Um, please let us know the more people who like and subscribe, the more people see these and the more these incredible women get to have a light shown on them and all of their incredible accomplishments, which is ultimately the goal of this. And hopefully we inspire more women to go out there and do, as Emily says, what sets their soul on fire. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to bid you guys a good night. Big thank you again to our wonderful sponsor, Drive Time, for all that they do to support women in the trades. And until next time, be good to yourselves and be good to one another. Bye.